Welcome to the Cricket Mentoring Podcast, formerly known as the Process of Success. I'm Tom Scolle, or Scholes as I get called, and this podcast has been designed for cricketers and cricket lovers who want to learn and improve themselves. In this podcast, we interview past, current, and future cricket stars to find out more about their journey and what makes them successful, while also sharing some audio from ourselves at Cricket Mentoring. Our goal is to help you become your best on and off the field. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and get something valuable out of it. G'day legends. Just a quick note before we get into this episode. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. And if you are, I reckon you'll love my vlog over on YouTube, Skulls Weekly. After almost 300 episodes of my daily vlog, Skulls Stories, we wanted to continue to make it interesting and add value to you guys as cricket lovers and cricketers, cricket coaches. And so we've changed it up. We're making it a much higher quality production. We're trying to give as much value as we can. And we've made it a weekly vlog, Skulls Weekly. We've had some excellent feedback so far. So guys, head over to YouTube, search Cricket Mentoring. Please subscribe, like, share, comment, etc. And check out my new vlog, Skulls Weekly. Today's guest is one of the most successful coaches in the world, and as a coach myself, I was thrilled to pick the brains of one of the best. Greg Shippard had an excellent career as a player, scoring almost 7,000 first-class runs at an average over 42, with a higher score of 200 not out, but it's, I think it's fair to say he's made even more of an impact on the game as a coach. Shippard started his coaching in Tasmania, where he mentored young guns Ricky Ponting and Shane Watson, before he shifted to coach Victoria in one of their most successful eras. In all, he coached the Vicks to four Sheffield Shield titles, one National One Day Cup, and four 2020 titles. He was also the inaugural coach of the Delhi Daredevils in the Indian Premier League for the first four seasons, and most recently became a Big Bash winning coach as the Sydney Sixers won BBL 09. This is a really insightful conversation with someone I truly admire and hope to learn more from as my coaching career possesses, so I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. G'day legends and welcome to this episode of the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. I've got a very um, great guest here with me, a big bash winning coach amongst many other titles, Greg Shippard. Thank you for joining me, Shippy. Yeah, no problems. I guess one of your oldest uh, people to speak to. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm not going to say others have been sort of too old. I don't want to put anyone out there, but we've had Robin Smith on, um, former England cricketer. So it's not all not all sort of the young next generation, but... I'm way older than him. Okay, all right. You're the oldest. Well done. Um, you must be on a bit of a high coming back from Sydney last Saturday, won the big bash. How was all that? Yeah, well, look, it was a real thrill this, this season and, and the winning feeling, you know, it's been a while from a coaching point of view that I'd had that. I think the last time was with the Victorians in a Sheffield Shield. Unfortunately, I lost my job after that, so I'm a little bit nervous about what's to come, but the team were brilliant. Uh, we backed up from the season before where we made the semi-finals, were real close, so they were a hungry and united group with a real purpose and, and played like it, so you know we're thrilled and I can relax now. Well, well, well done. I was following closely and hoping you'd win. Josh Phillippe is an ambassador at Cricket Mentoring, a friend of mine, so unfortunately he had a great game in the final. We'll get onto that more a little bit later. Let's go back to the start. You were born in Perth. Um, what's your earliest memory of playing cricket? Uh, probably grade four at Wembley Downs Primary School. I had fortunate to have a my primary school teacher was an ex-first class player or a first class player in Derek Woodhead, who coached the Scarborough Cricket Club. 
and he took me under his wing and a number of people in the in the school and you know we had a relationship that lasted you know decades after that and he gave me a lot of good information and a lot of uh, a lot of ideas around you know playing cricket and being involved in cricket Derek Chadwick first coach and captain at Scarborough Cricket Club Ken Muleman as well who provided coaching services there I was in good hands yeah Scarborough Cricket Club wonderful place and as provided a lot of material and resources to West Australian and Australian cricket. Yeah, so as well, the current Australian coach, JL's a Scarborough boy. And Kenny Muleman, I'm very good friends with Scott and Justin, his um, grandsons, yep. and I do all my, all my coaching at Muleman, so there's a little link there. Yeah, I was Justin's first first-grade captain, a young fella at 16, and I was a little bit older than that and captaining the Scarborough cricket team, so we yeah, go back uh, a long way as well, and we still continue to talk and yep. about cricket, coaching, and and have a regular coffee across the course of seasons. Yeah, and have you had much to do with Bobby? Bobby? Muleman? Oh, yes, of course, yes, yeah. He was a first-class player himself, yeah. so we, we did a lot of bat selecting yeah. at the Muleman Centre there in South Perth. My grandparents yeah. lived in that area, so I wandered up from awesome. time to time. Awesome. And so then how did you progress your playing career, and then when did it finish and when did you move into coaching? Oh, I guess I was a sporting nut as as a young person, played state tennis and cricket and lived by the Wembley Downs golf course and close to the beach, so sport was the thing. Went into the university as a phys ed teacher, got my qualifications, again was lucky to be involved with the right people, had a wonderful coach, one of Australia's best in Darrell Foster, uh, who had boom control of a West Australian team and was a leader in all things coaching, so... From that point of view, I had someone to see and someone to follow, uh, and I had teammates that you know were you know at, at one stage I think I was the only non-Test player in the WA cricket team, so I was surrounded by cricketing royalty, and you know I kept my eyes open and my my ears open and my mouth zipped up and and did some learning. So 112 first-class matches, is that right? Yeah, that sounds um, about right. Uh, highest score of 200 not out. Who was that against? Against Western Australia, which uh, at one stage there they thought I was too old and, and too decrepit to continue in the, in the team. And so I think a 200 not out, a 130 not out, and a, a 60 was just letting them know that I still had some. You still had it. And an average of uh, 42.27 and 1500s. That's yeah. a very yeah. well done on everything you did. So how did you then progress from your first class career professional? Was it professional then? Well, I, had, I started my career, I was teaching at, at high schools as a phys ed teacher and trying to combine both. Um, post the Rebel Tour of South Africa, um, came back to WA, who were on a roll and playing fab- fabulous cricket, so it was difficult to squeeze back in there. Tasmania came a-calling and I went to Tasmania, finished by playing there for three seasons and was basically the assistant coach to Dirk Wellham and the marketing manager and the Kanga cricket coordinator. So straight out of playing into that? Straight out of playing into that and straight out of finishing playing into the coaching role. So yeah. coached them for 11 years uh, and that finished and then coached Victoria for 14 and then that finished and I'm doing the big bash. So I've, I've been involved with forever. So cricket is your life? Has been, yeah. Um, do you still love it now as much as you did when you first started? I guess if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. I guess this more part-time nature of it at the moment, Big Bash, even though your mind's ticking over 12 months of the year, it's only a physical involvement for probably three months, but I do enjoy going up to Sydney and keeping an eye on my players and involving myself in the New South Wales program, mm. as well as, of course, still with Victoria in under-17s and 19s and doing some coach mentoring 
now as you are. Yes, no, well, I'm mentoring more players, so yeah. Um, I, so you live in Melbourne, you go up to Sydney for the Big Bash, you yeah. do a bit with Victoria. What does the other nine months look like, sort of, when you're not doing the Big Bash? Gee, they start early these days. So in Victoria, the 17s and 19s programs start, you know, in May, June, July, and then I'm involved with the Melbourne Cricket Club as well. As you can see, I'm, I'm ready to go there tonight, back off the Big Bash with yeah. some stories to tell. So, yeah, there's enough to keep me Are you occupied. the head coach at Melbourne? Or? No, no, no. Adam Dale, a yep. uh, former Australian yep. player. Lovely is, bowler. Yeah, is the, is the coach. Cameron White's the captain, and yep. I'm the back of the net, uh, throw out some batting advice to the, to the young fellas coming through. Excellent. How lucky must these 17- and 19-year-old Victorian boys be to have such an experienced coach guiding them? Um, what is it that some of the best players you've coached, what, what have they done and how have they prepared and what makes the best players that you've seen? Yeah, I guess when we're talking about the the skills necessary to make up any elite sports person, it involves some physical abilities, some mental abilities, some strate- strategic awareness and some some skill skill execution. So the best players obviously have a wonderful combination of all of those things uh, and in particular... Uh, an underestimated side is that is that me- mental skills, the visualization, the confidence, the self belief, and as well pairing that with strategic knowledge. So all the best players really have a good feel for themselves, an awareness of the opposition, and and they just keep working hard and and often harder than the next person. Let's take a quick break from the podcast for a minute to thank our sponsors, Grove Cricket. Grove is the best gear in the business, and we absolutely love using it. Guys, if you're interested in some Grove Cricket gear, then send us a message on Instagram. Let us know what you're after, and we can help you become a user of Grove. And in doing so, you can support what we're doing here at Cricket Mentoring. It is awesome gear, and I'm sure you'll love it as much as we do. Now, let's get back to this episode. So do you think it's a, it's a combination of the both? And if you looked at player X, he'd have um, a really strong skill set in one thing and not so strong in the other, but combined it's good enough? Or do you think they all have the same sort of recipe? Everyone's similar in sort of their physical skill, their mental skill, etc. Oh, no, everyone's different. Everyone hits the ball different, bowls the ball different, had different physical capabilities, sees the world in unique ways from a mental perspective. Um, you know, we can feed a lot of information now as we do from a strategic point of view. There's things that players do control, that's themselves, and things that they don't, the opposition and the conditions surrounding whatever their skill task is. And so we, we try and put that into perspective for the players, or I do in, in my way of coaching, and, and hopefully that we're, we're growing the player in all of those areas all of the time. Yep. Now, chance for you to sort of maybe single out a few people. Who are some of the best players you've coached? And what's made them special? Oh, I think the most obvious is uh, is Ricky Ponting, a uh, young fellow at sixteen, seventeen, was remarkably skillful for that for that age, and had had a great ability to to bat, think about the game, was really really determined um, and consistent around his preparation and his methods and his thought. Drunk in a lot of information about the game, so you know he's still having a major influence on on uh, Australian cricket as we speak. Mm. And you mentioned he was skillful, not talented. I sort of have gone away from the word talent because I feel like at a certain age you get to a level, it's through hard work, it's through skill. Mm. Do you agree with that? Well, he's skillful in 
cricket, in golf. He plays a wonderful game of golf and he was a terrific little footballer as well. Unfortunately, just at the right time for cricket, he broke an arm and, you know, he, he was steered into cricket as, as his preferred sport. And uh, so, you know, it's people like him. Shane Watson was someone that I saw, you know, as a young fellow and saw something in him from, from a batting point of view. Even though I went to watch him as a bowler, I saw something in his batting and we recruited him down to Tasmania. But, you know, they're all different. So there's a sort of elite players like that and other players whose own unique journey uh, that might not have played for as long as those guys are still special from a coaching perspective, you know, to switch Colin Miller from a medium-paced bowler into an off-spinner. Is that you, your work? Well, we, you know, I guess that he was within our environment at the time and we encouraged that and he did it beautifully uh, to see guys like Bryce McGain, Shane Harwood, Mickey Lewis, you know, just work you know, their backsides off, play late. And then, you know, that journey is to be respected uh, as it should be. And, um, you know, they were terrific players and terrific people within, at that stage, the Victorian environment. Mm, I remember Funky Miller bowling medium pace and off spin, and it was certainly, yeah, when I was a young boy, and it was something that was certainly not um, normal. He mm. was very unique in that. Now, what does someone like Ponter or Watto, you've, you've spent time on, what does what their preparation look like? What is their... How many balls a week would they be hitting? What what are they very meticulous, or are they how, how do they go about it? Oh, absolutely about training, real focus on training and doing it well. Ricky still talks about the message. He's still coaching, and I ask him from time to time to come and speak to the group. And the message that we try and draw out of him is is that what's the what's the attitude in the nets? And his attitude was to not get out. And so, if you're not out and you develop that habit, it's a good thing for the game proper. And he's preparing himself for the game. So he was, you know, in all conditions, he was in there for the fight and in there for the contest. Mm. And you have your ups and downs, but, you know, that's how how thorough he was. Watson the same, fielding, you know, they were both terrific fielders and what I was watching, what Ricky did, and it's copycat stuff. And mm. I've just come off coaching Steve Smith in the Big Bash, which was a wonderful experience, and he's so, so similar uh, to Ricky, they train forever. They get access to you know a lot of balls, a lot of bowlers, a lot of throwdowns. So they're well resourced, but you know there's still got to be a want to to, a to do that and a hunger. The way he talks about visualising about the opposition and being really strategically aware was was something that just was confirmed in my mind. That's really important to to push towards our younger players. So can you give us a little bit more depth into that? Like what sort of stuff was would Steve sort of bring to the table and what was sort of depth was he going into into his visualization against the stars in the final? Was he saying I'm gonna do this against this bowler and this against this bowler? Was he sort of pre yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. When you have your team meetings and you go in, you break into your batting groups and, and bowling specific groups, we have a general meeting where we talk about the the themes and the issues of the game coming up but once they break away. You know his ability to express that was was fantastic. Moses Enrique is, is is another one who is just absolutely, you know, brilliant at talking about what they're likely to be confronted with and what their plans are to to deal with those things. And so that was a message that I was able to drive with the younger players: is that can you hear this? This is the level you need to get to if you want the consistency that these guys bring to the table and so I'm sure that's all the same case I remember Jamie Cox one of the leading run scorers ever in first class cricket um, out of Tasmania and South Australia was exactly the same if you asked him to speak about batting it just flowed and it's a skill to to develop 
as well as we're able to teach them you know mental skills along the way with specialists coming in or just having conversations around well, what that what was that training session like or what was that match that we just played like what happened in what happened and what did we learn mm. Mm. Um, so they're the sorts of things that... I'm going to probe you a bit more on this because I think it's a, a, an amazing insight for our viewers um, what else What else can you tell us about Steve Smith and what makes him such a great cricketer I know him a little bit and I've played against him in the past and what from seeing him operate on a day to day basis and you've seen Ricky, you've seen, spoken about Watto and all these fantastic players over a long career as a player and a coach what, what else makes Smith special? Mm. I, I, again, I think he's got some great uh, emotional awareness, a great, a, skills. His mental skills are strong. He's, there's this, there's this quiet belief, uh, confidence, uh, and, and process that he that he undertakes, uh, and and a lot of it you don't see, and you hear snippets of it, but you see it in his play, and in his play. Um, is the thing that shows the work has been done behind the scenes. Mm. Um, and he explores, and ex- and that's T20 as well. So I guess in when he's preparing for Test cricket and One Day cricket, a lot of that risk management is dialed back, yeah. and he plays sort of within the parameters of what he's likely to play in those those particular formats. But he was having great fun exploring hitting the ball 360 uh, in our net sessions, and um, yeah, you know we had three coaches with you know bung arms okay. at, at the end of the process because once. <coughs> small group of players see that that is part of being successful they all want to do it yep. and so we need <laughs> more coaches more wangers more bowling machines so you talk about risk management there how how as a coach do you coach that how do you teach your players that yeah we talk about with the players about there being you know types of pe- people and i call it a low risk player a medium risk player and a high risk player and so if you'd like a low-risk player, we'll talk about Chris Rogers there, someone who's in, in there and a role player and, you know, he's prepared to, you know, minimise the risks he takes to get his end result and the team's end result. And there's, and there's players at the other end of that scale that, in the sense of applying risk, they sometimes swim outside the flags, as we like to, to say, and they, they're they high-risk takers. So Glenn Maxwell, Finchie, those sort of guys, you know, go out and attack the game. And there's the people in the middle. What I say we should try and work towards is that de- depending on the state of the game and the format of the game, we'd like players to be fluid amongst those three zones, know when to take risks and, and have the skills to take higher risks and still survive. And there's other times to bunker down, form a partnership and turn momentum around in the game to get it going your way. So that's sort of the, some of the language that yeah. we use without giving away all our secrets. Yeah, no, you can't give it away because <laughs> you never know who will be listening. Michael Kling was in here earlier. So um, what you've been very successful in Sheffield Shield cricket as a coach. Um, what is different about coaching 2020 in Sheffield Shield cricket? Oh, I guess, um, yeah, Shield Cricket, it's like an invest, a 12-month investment again, and I talk about building a generation, which is if the player walks through the door, uh, I'd like to think he's going to be there for the next 10 to 15 years, and so, you know, he becomes a bit of a project, or they become a bit of a project, and so does the team. And so we have processes, and we have language that we use, and we have targets that we're trying to achieve, and we have a game plan that we're working towards, and and manipulating and refining from time to time when when necessary. And so it's just a never-ending, you know, cycle of, you know, review and evaluation and, and refinement. Yeah. 
and 2020 cricket then it's just you, you come in you obviously have a, an impact on the list um, you, you decide yep. who's in your team and yep. then you come in oh, 10 days before the tournament starts it must be hard to really sort of get everything sorted in that period compared to what you would in Sheffield Shield Oh, initially it is, but I guess when we're dealing with 2020, the players actually choose where they want to go now as opposed to a state system where they're sort of locked into the boundaries unless they make their own choice and, and for opportunity often and move somewhere else. So these players want to sign up to your list, so they're, they're, they're happy and willing customers to sit down and work together and team comes first and... You know, fortunately, this season, uh, you know, we talked about having 18 game-ready players. We played 19, I think, this year, um, and we had some tremendous players missing out. Uh, but the the tone and the quality of environment that was was uh, set up for the players that they helped create themselves, of course, through conversation, um, served the group well. You know, Jackson Bird, Young Pope, and Menenti, and people like that missing out on that opportunity to play the finals was tough to take but mm. they were thoroughly professional and and did a fantastic job but were acknowledged certainly as well for their part of uh, that they played in you know us winning our title this season you, you've had a lot of success you've just spoken about environment what is it do you think that's important about culture so that people can thrive an environment for people to thrive what do you try and focus on as a coach or a leader yeah, I guess the you know the things that you know I sort of have six fundamental points about helping create that environment, and it's about you know once you walk through the door, if it's eighteen players or thirty in a shield program or more, um, it's about establishing that commitment to win. And what does that mean? That means you know being professional, chasing excellence, never-ending improvement, and you, you know, your work ethic. As well, it's about you know setting some standards. We used to call them standards of excellence around the Victorian team, where you know we had some values about our behaviours, and you know we had to walk the talk and not just you know talk. We had to go out and do. And you made mistakes along the way, and again you you know you rebooted and you identified, and you know you worked your way through. You know when values or your behaviours um, you know weren't happening, but pleasing to say that in in the Victorian group that's been strong it was robust competitive uh, all the time but uh, you know that seemed to work for our group it was about making sure you identified the talent the strengths and weaknesses if you're going to win a competition you need to have you know the appropriate batters bowlers fielders and 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 a and a binding towards that team where there were weaknesses that's list management and um you know, we had to manage and develop the players themselves within that context. Uh, we had to have a, a superior game plan, and I think that we've always been, and I've always tapped into the knowledge of my senior players and or junior players that come with fresh, new, different ideas to establish a game plan. Um, and I think I've been in, oh, I guess, 32 grand finals, I think, now, which is an indicator that the game plan sort of works. Mm, wow. And then as well, uh, I think, um, you know, having a fun, enjoyable environment is probably the number one on the list there and, yeah. and how you drive the group to that. I've become a little bit more about pushing that back to the players to take responsibility for ideas around how they want to, to see that and feel that. Yeah. Um, we try and dress up winning and losing in the same clothes. Uh, we're pretty practical, you know. We're pretty straightforward. We we're honest. It's not always fluff and great times, but you know it's about understanding as well. Um, 
yeah, when you don't have a win, you know, how can we turn that around? And it's and it's and it's pretty relaxed, but you know, we, we have our moments. So it's not getting too high when things are going well and not too low. And how focused are you on the process rather than the result? Oh, I think yeah, process is 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 the key driver of all of those things. And you know, there's a number of people up and down the organisational ladder that you need to you need to as a coach you need to be working with all the time. So from that's from the the roomy you know, to the CEO and your, your operations manager and your selectors, you need to all be, you know, linked in and and I like to turn the ladder around sideways and horizontally to, to have everyone feeling as though that, they, you know, they're, they're equivalent uh, in the groups that I'm involved with. Well, that leads me on to something that um, Chris Rogers, uh, who played a lot of cricket under you and flourished, very good friend of mine, he said that your preparation and attention to detail is phenomenal and the best he's seen. And the other thing that's he's recognised now that he's become a coach himself is how you're able to get everyone involved in meetings um, so that everyone felt a part of the team. And he said that was a real skill of yours. How, how do you go about sort of doing that horizontal ladder and keeping everyone sort of level and involved? I've done a lot of courses over the years uh, in m- making sure that I'm upskilling and so I think I've done level three about seven or eight times and I would always knock on the CEO's door and say, can I go up and, and, and be involved in the, the Centre of Excellence in the academy? So listen to other coaches, done a lot of reading on successful coaches and successful teams. From different sports. From all different sports. And so, you know, the three elements about the coaching process for me is you, you, once you're in front of the group, you're a performer. Uh, you've got to be a learner. And you've got to be a leader, and so all the time I'm thinking about, you know, there's times when I have to perform with my language or my actions or, or my preparedness. You've got to do the hard work, hard work, and learning, keeping up with the trends of the game, and from a leadership point of view, you know, just being like we demand of all our group is that yes, we know we have a captain with the C next to him, but leadership comes in many different ways, shapes, and forms, and our young players encouraged to provide that we identify that when we see that happening and so it's a dynamic dialogue and I guess I learnt those skills from you know my teaching days about how to you know how to draw information out of out of people and I've I've learnt from other practitioners as well seeing that happen and go okay I can use that so it's about yeah using your own ideas but also seeing what works with other people and and uh I know for this year's title, we showed our boys last year, you know, Collingwood Footy Club losing their thing and they did a little three-minute video and it showed the, you know, the pain of losing. And But, you know, I think Buckley talked about, you know, having to earn, earn, you know, the right, the right to, to win it and but to tell their own story. And I think, you know, they created a really nice uh, environment there. We sort of saw that and thought about that and sort of those little images from other sports as mm. well were helping to drive our group forward. Mm. Well, I'm a big Collingwood fan, so that was um, a great day for me. My son works there, so I'm I'm riding the emotional ups and downs yeah. with him. He's a physiotherapist there, so... Awesome, yeah. awesome. Oh, lucky man. He's, uh, pies are my, one of my favourite mm. things. Um, but that's something I try and do as well, is, is look at what's going on in other sports, other people, learn from business people, etc. And it's, it's the only, it's the way to then bring it back into cricket, I think, is a, is a great skill that you obviously do very well. Um, you only are sort of with the Sixers for a short period of time, let's say, in a, in a calendar year, three months, but how much planning goes into it and how much sort of on a, when you're with the team, how much on a day-to-day basis are you working? You Obviously, there's a game that goes for three hours, you're there a few hours before, but no doubt listening to you, 
you're you're there you're early you're preparing you're trying to understand what's going on you're learning you're doing everything you can to be as ready as you can be yeah oh, you've got to take time in the day i've got my favorite little books here i've always got a companion with me about that where there's information that i can i can include to my ever-growing uh you know library of of, of books and so I do that. I share it as much as I can with the players. Uh, we're talking 12 months of the year. We're always in contact. Uh, I'm always taking interest in in their development. You know, whether they're playing shield cricket, one day cricket. So they become your your kids, if you like, for the time that you're, you're coaching them. And and even beyond, uh, it was nice to get a lot of messages. You know, from my ex-Victorian players and my old WA teammates. You know, post the win the other night, which was. Nice that we're still all connected uh, and involved and keeping an eye on the game of cricket that we love. Well, that's, yeah, the great thing about cricket, I think, is the, the camaraderie. Something that Buck also mentioned was the um, what you did with Bobby Quiney. He said that he was a pretty good player, but you helped turn him into an incredible player. How did he do that? How did Bobby Quiney go from being OK or, or pretty good to excellent and being an international player? I guess we had to, with Bobby as well, have him understand that you know, he had the talent, but he just had to marry and, and lift his work ethic around, you know, around firstly his physicality and secondly his fielding and uh, and, and and thirdly then to, to develop his, his batting skills because he, he was a brave player, he was an explosive player. And so, you know, he took care of the, the work ethic after we identified. It was a tough team to get into the Victorian team. There was a lot of good players didn't make that side but it was a good side to be in because they won a lot of stuff and you learn a lot of stuff from being in the big games and and Bobby got into the into the river with us and you know he just needed some some nudges from time to time some direction he liked to be handled firmly Bobby he didn't you know he didn't mind being spoken to you know aggressively and a number of players like that that style as well uh, they don't always want love and kisses um, and you know he thrived in the group and we began, we we got close and we're close mates and and you and you get really close to a lot of your players. It was really difficult the other night to coach against. They call uh, David my other son, David Hussey, and uh, you know we're up against each other in a in a big game. And you know one of us was going to win and the other one wasn't. But mm. he's got plenty of opportunity looking forward in his coaching career to to win some with the stars and wherever else his coaching career goes. Mm. Let's take a break from this episode for a minute and head back to last week's episode with Australian Test opener Cameron Bancroft. I'm just really addicted to the process of getting better. And, um, you know, I haven't, uh, as an outcome, like I haven't achieved the things yet that I want to achieve in this game. Um, But, you know, I'm going to wake up each day and I'm going to look to just just tinker a little bit more just so I can can be better. And, um, you know, sometimes you've got to you get obstacles that get thrown in your way, um, but you know those obstacles are the—they're they're the way to go. You know they're—you know—they're opportunities for me to discover a little bit more about myself. So, you know that's what gets me out of bed each day to um, to drive myself, and um, yeah, it'll continue to do so hopefully for many more years to come. Now let's get back into this episode with Shippy. How do you? As a coach, as a leader, how do you under, get to understand what people respond to? So you spoke about Bobby, like doesn't mind a firm word, and some guys do. Mm. Others want to be kissed and cuddled. 
how do you manage that when you first walk into an environment? Is it just about building relationships and understanding them as humans? Yeah, I think, you know, you, 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 my best advice is not to jump, you know, to conclusions straight away. Um, and I think it is about building and managing a relationship, and that's by communicating. That's from observing, you know, what they do, what they say. And I think pretty quickly, if you're experienced at it, you'll get that feel of what a player's like. Um, but circumstances in their careers and life change as well. And so as a coach, you need to be able to, you know, change tack with people and, and not sort of pigeonhole them in the, in the, in the one lane only. So I guess that what, what was, might have happened with, you know, Buck and in WA at that time where he was a red ball cricketer and I think we seized on the opportunity to, you know, broaden his, his opportunity in Victoria by introducing white ball cricket back into his mix and he grabbed it with both hands and, you know, we enjoyed a wonderful relationship, you know, with him in Victoria. What is it that you look for in a young player? If you're trying to identify a young player at an under-19 level, let's say, are you looking for technique? Are you looking for method? Are you looking for game awareness? What sort of things are you, with your experienced yeah. eye, looking for in this day yeah. and age? Well, initially, you're not seeing them in a game. If you see them in a game, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate what they do, but often I see them in nets first, and so from a batting point of view, if they move, in response to the length of the ball appropriately. So that's moving forward, moving back, moving laterally. I like to see the rhythm of the player play. I like to see some of his choices that he makes when, you know, in relation to the ball that's been bowled to him. So I'll get a pretty quick fix on what I think the player can do and then we go to work on you know, building technique around that. So with Steve Smith, who often sort of sits back to a fuller ball... Mm. And he's probably redefined batting a fair bit. Absolutely. Um, how do you go about that? If you saw a young Steve Smith who's hanging back and, and cover driving off the back foot to a knee roll ball, obviously that's not what you used to traditionally. Well, I would say that's the best place to start. Be comfortable on the back foot. And so my man, Derek Woodhead, was renowned for coaching back foot play. And so that's something that's pretty dear to me. And, and I often tease my coaching groups around you know you've got to fall in love with playing off the back foot because it gives you more strokes than you're likely to be able to play off the front foot so you're more difficult to control if you can play your back foot strokes well in my opinion the front foot stuff is a wonderful bonus and so I would like to be uh, I often talk about being hungry not greedy but I'd be wanting to be hungry about having both front foot and back foot play ticked off and so that's where I drive my young kids is to to be responsive in both both directions. How do you do that in a learning environment? Do you do that wanging balls and they're picking up length? Do you do that with, on a bowling machine? Do you do lots of drills? Well, we would start on a bowling machine by going right, you know, it's back foot night tonight, uh, swing night next night, it's coming forward night next night so we have a whole range of different opportunities with the bowling machines and then we go oh let's go and test this out against the bowlers where you've got to make a decision you know what I'm going to feed you if I'm feeding back foot we're going to create some cuts and some back foot defense and we're going to go into our squash punch and crunch mode uh, we've added another letter to it we've we've added d in which is deflect and when you you know when you're playing t20 cricket the ability to lay the ball off or ramp 
uh, or use a, a, a quick pace. Uh, you know, that's the language that we're using with our players at the moment. But Can you go further into that squash, punch, crunch? Obviously, you've said what deflect is. Tell us and the viewers and listeners a bit more about what that is. I guess in general terms, it's, you know, there are, you know our run scoring ability is made up of scoring ones, twos, threes, fours and sixes, I guess. And so, and you're hitting the ball at, at different you know, power outputs. And so we talk about, you know, inner ring run scoring is you're squashing the ball in a, in the circle or down at your feet and deflecting it here, there, mm. like Smith does, like the best players do. And, and that's where you're picking up your, instead of it's just dropping no run, mm. you're creating a run by your movement and your skill with your relationship with your hands and your bat. Mm. Squash. Punch is just, again, technically correctly Punching through the line of the ball, chasing your hands through the line of the ball, through the covers, through mid off, through mid on, mid wicket, um, and scoring twos, threes if the ball's timed. And as we saw with Josh Hazelwood, who did a punch in one of our games against the Strikers this game. year yeah. to win a game, and it was a four. He didn't, he wasn't aware of what he did, but we celebrated that uh, with great mirth around our group because that's what he he did, and that's what we've been talking about. Uh, crunch is again playing with elevated power. It's, you know, it's it, it's it's letting it hang out there, and you you know you're wanting to hit the ball hard, and you know that can be four or six again. Mm. But we like shape, timing, balance, and bat face integrity are the things we talk. Mm. And then deflection is is again you can score a one down to third man or fine leg, or indeed if no one's there and you place the ball, fours, fours and twos come mm. into play. So. That's, Fascinating. That's the narrative that we're sort of using. It yep. used to be tempo one, two, and three in Victoria, and now we've sort of mm. we've modernised it a little bit in the groups that I coach. Yep. Other people certainly may use their own language around. Yeah, that. well, Buck I think talks about the gears, first gear, second gear. Yeah. I talk in. I sort of talk about taking pace off the ball, using the pace, and mm. putting pace on the ball. So mm. similar-ish, I suppose. Mm. Um, how do you create an environment that allows players to fail? I think the best players, they accept they're going to fail and that allows them to succeed. But how, as a coach or a leader, do you create that environment? Yeah, I guess by stating up front that it's, you know, we, you know, we, we, we don't mind you making mistakes. We don't mind, um, yeah, but we don't... We, we want to improve cricket intellect and cricket intellect sort of resiles against making a lot of mistakes the same it's you know there's time to learn and there's time to adjust so um you know that's when you have tougher conversations when someone's just not picking up the you know the cues that the, the that their performance is giving them um but it is about you know at a training session we want there to be focus and purpose but we know it's not going to be perfect or if you're going exploring let the coaches know that this is the phase that you're going to explore in your net session so that they can keep an eye on you and then there's some reference points. You can then provide some real-time response to whether it's working or not and then what if you did this or what if you did that. So it's just, a, yeah, it's about, I guess, smartly managing your, your group. How do you deal with a player who has te- perfectionism tend- tendencies and gets a bit down on themselves or gets frustrated easily when things aren't going their way? Yeah, again, I just think it's that's about as well having having conversations, understanding their feelings, trying to adjust, trying to adjust that. You know, it, it, that is a good want, but it needs to be underpinned by some good doing. And I guess it's how to do is is where you would then start to target. You know, just 
accept the mindset, just just steer it off in a, another direction slightly, and then go some do some doing that you know will have those two things working in a synchronised fashion. Mm. So at the highest level, which you've obviously been involved in for a very long time now, what do you think is the breakdown of um, technical, mental, tactical, emotional? How do they all sit? Yeah, I guess I'm. The more I get in, am involved, the more I'm understanding. It seems to me it's more about, you know, mental and strategic skills. I'm sort of almost, you know, putting more emphasis on those two areas. They're probably the two areas that are most undercoached, <laughs> or are the most undercoached. Uh, we do provide a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of time and effort into the technique, which is, yeah, they're once linked, they're all important. But I think we could really, you know, and I really like the new book coming out, Graham Winter's book, Mindful Cricket. It's a really great little boost to that area of coaching, and I recommend, you know, all players. I recommended that to all the all the Sixers boys to go out and buy your copy and. Yeah. Jordan Silk's pinch mine, so I'll get it back at some stage. Yeah. But you know, those sort of resources help, don't hurt. Mm. Is there a mental skills coach at the Sixers? Is there someone that helps the, the players? Uh, we have one available, but we had a really experienced team. We've had a team that's been working, you know, together for a number of years now. So we think we've got that area covered. Uh, we're having conversations if we think we need to outsource to add to that. Uh, you know, we'll be doing that. But the state programs do have access to, to you know, psychs and mental skills coaches. Yeah. Um, moving on to Josh Philippi, which is one of the stars of your campaign. He's yeah. our cricket mentoring ambassador. Yeah. How has he evolved over the sort of, I suppose, 14 months that you've seen him from the start of the Big Bash last year till now? He's grown in stature, grown in confidence, but what have you seen in any changes in him? Oh, I think he's yeah, he's learning to be comfortable in the in the heat of battle. Um, he he he's competitive. He's brave. Uh, he's got amazingly fast hands. Um, in the training environment, he works really hard. So he's one of those ones that you know is determined to do well. Uh, he trains forever, so he's copying you know Smith's sort of that mantra of volume. But we need to make sure it, it's it's as quality as it can be. Um, and there's a little bit of growth in technique, which we're talking about and working on. But I've got to be careful about intervention there uh, because I only see him part time, and there's other thoughts his own and and the, his other mentors around him that that uh, need to be you know considered and collaborated with so he's got massive upside mm. um and he's been a you know he's been a terrific contributor he you know five or six you know match winning innings for the team from a young player is is quite extraordinary just want to pause for a minute there guys to let you know about our email newsletter if you haven't subscribed to our email newsletter you're missing out on loads of value to help you both on and off the field Every Monday, I send out a Monday motivation email where I share my favorite article, video, podcast of the week, plus a little bit about what I'm up to and what I'm learning. I'm always trying to give value and help you guys become your best. So head over to cricketmentoring.com forward slash newsletter dash subscription and sign up now so you can get value into your inbox every week. Now let's get back into this episode. 
Yeah, and great reward for him to get picked up in the IPL and hopefully progress his skill set and his experience from that. Wow, yeah, what an what an environment he gets to sit at Bangalore there, Coley, you know, De Villiers, you know, Finchy, G, you know, he pick up so much good information from those mm. three. You wouldn't mind a couple of stomach bugs, you know, in amongst that group, and he gets a couple of games yeah, yeah. when they're crooks. So that'd be yeah. a wonderful experience for him. Well, I'm in Bangalore for three weeks during that time, so I look well, forward yeah, to bring him around for dinner and yeah, see yeah. if you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, how has the importance of fitness changed in your sort of coaching career, and how serious are these guys taking their their bodies and their sort of their preparation these days? Yeah, it's certainly grown, and uh, the involvement of you know full time sports science and medicine teams around teams is is really grown, and they often cop a lot of criticism, but they also prepare players really well. We had this season Sean Abbott go down in the middle of the season with a big side strain, and thought this is going to be eight weeks, and he played our final and our semi final and our last game, and the work behind the scenes that he did with his the physio and the the S&C, a lot of them now go into before T20 and have gym sessions as well, which was quite surprising to me. But, you know, that has become part of their routines and they don't seem to have any effects. You know, we were having our players clocked at 8,000 metres um, across the course of a game um, and from side to side, quick, you know, Jordan Silk, the stuff he was running and all our players were the movement to get right people in right places is you know very it's like footy unrewarded running but mm. to create space and mm. and do all those sort of things they do in football mm. matches our players are doing the same sort of thing in cricket so the physicality of the game is 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 enormous now mm. and you know we had three cycles of travel uh play travel play travel play and so the ability often on planes and to be playing and in front of crowds and wanting to do well mm. is there's you know emotional energy being sapped all the time mm. so yeah um you've spoken i saw heard you speak after the final and you spoke very very highly of moses and his leadership mm. uh, i i get the feeling you guys have a very good relationship what is it that's special about moses as a leader and what is it that you look for in leaders or that make the leaders special uh great game knowledge and you know that can be built I remember with Cameron White as a young captain, didn't have that, but he had enough to work with. And he, but he grew to being this unbelievable strategist, you know, in the game. And Moses is so like Cameron in terms of his strategic thinking and ability. Uh, you can sort of just leave it to them, and we don't really need to have too many conversations around the order of bowling. I trust him and his instincts, and it's worked. He's an elite captain. Uh, he has great empathy. He's a beautiful communicator, um, and his empathy comes from, I guess, his own experiences and in, in dealing with his own, you know, challenges around his mental health and how he's worked himself through those. Uh, but he shared that knowledge and that information with a ever-growing um, group of, you know, young Australian cricketers, and so he's. Yeah, I always remember how the Australian players, or the Victorian Australian players, loved Ricky Ponting and Shane Watson, um, but the Australian players around the domestic system loved Moses Henriques for what he gives to them. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think, obviously, as you said, like going through his own struggles has allowed him to be very understanding of what mm-hmm. other people are going through. Um, we're going to have to wrap up shortly, but what advice would you give your younger self? 
you were coaching you as a player, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, I guess just occasionally you swim outside the flags from a technique point of not technique point of view, but from a risk management point of view. That's that's better put. Um, you know, I was probably yeah, I was a bit of a snail and and, uh, and scored and took no risk, uh, so scored very slowly. So you know, but we didn't really have T twenty that might have drawn that out. So I guess you know, being open minded and taking a few more risks, but again, calculated. As, as best you can so yeah, other than that there's been no regrets I've had a wonderful career in cricket and you know hope it just chugs along for a few more that'd be great well what what drives you what drives you to keep going and keep oh, I guess you know if a coach is a teacher you know and it's, and it's the same as being a parent I guess and if you're involved and in your work environment is dealing with young people I guess that ability to share ideas and knowledge and is the thing that gets you up out of bed and, and the game itself is, you know, has provided, you know, a wonderful um, resource and a comfortable living. Yeah, excellent. Now, what's next for you? Holidays. <laughs> Finishing up with the Sixers or you already finished? I'd, I'd, yeah, well, we finished our, our, our head-to-head stuff. We're going to probably go into review mode now and uh, list management mode and, and, and we'll, we'll see whether I've got another contract or not. Oh, I'm sure you will. Surely they can't do a Victoria this year. Um, on that, how, how have you dealt with, I suppose, personal setbacks over your life? And then how, from what you've learned, have you passed that on and, and helped others who are going through setbacks? Yeah, I guess from a cricketing point of view, there has, hasn't been a lot of setbacks, so to speak. You know, I've always been lucky enough, as I said earlier, to be surrounded by really good people and and involved with good people on and off the field so always been involved in a growing growing organization uh, and and one that's headed in the right direction so you know when you lose a game or you lose a season it's not the end of the world you just you know you back up you review your program and you make some adjustments and and you change things and you hope that works and most times it it has so mm. now having been in cricket for however many years where do you see the future of cricket where do you see cricket going is test cricket going to stay a big part of cricket in the next 10 or 20 years is ODI cricket going to last is there going to be more 2020 cricket T10 cricket where do you see the game going almost about it's that sort of saturation point right now you wouldn't want to think that there'd be too many other you know T20 competitions popping up around the the world uh, test cricket, I think all three formats, I think, serve their own purpose in terms of providing game opportunity, fans being involved involved in the game and the growth of the game financially. Which, which the cycle goes, the money goes back down to grassroots and it all you know recreates itself. That's the ideal world. I think they're all there's a position for all, and people are trying their best at different times with test championships and all sorts of you know World Cups and things to keep the interest going uh the game's evolving it's been around for hundreds of years and i'm sure it will continue to to do so mm. final two questions i ask all of our guests why did you play cricket and why do you still love cricket uh, i guess i valued the team sport nature of it or club nature of it or organization playing for your state or indeed your country there's different levels there each of them that are, are, are satisfying uh, in their own right um yeah, I was sporty, and I was encouraged by my parents to go out and play and get yourselves in, get get yourself involved in in team sport. And, uh, and there's just so much to learn, and so much reward and satisfaction from you know the mates and the relationships you you develop out of that. 
Yeah, and our last question is, what's your definition of success? Oh, dear me, definition of success. Oh. <laughs> um, I guess having earned respect. Awesome, awesome. Mm. That's great. I've not had that before, and we've asked mm. that question to a lot of people, but it's... Fantastic. Guys, what an amazing insight into um, a very, very experienced coach, cricketer, um, someone with so much wisdom to share. So, Shippy, thank you so much for your time, your energy, and your thoughts. Um, no doubt there's going to be so many people watching and listening to this who learn a lot and hopefully can implement that into their games, their lives as well. So, well done on everything you've achieved. Thank you. 32 grand finals and many titles is an incredible effort. And best of luck to you and the Sixers again next year and beyond that. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Well, Legends, what an awesome chat that was with Shippy. What a great man he is and what amazing things he's done in this game. 32 grand finals he's led his sides to. What does that say about the culture and the environment he must set? He must allow his players to thrive and get the most out of themselves. And you can tell by chatting to him that that's something he really is able to do, is bring the best out in people. I loved hearing about his theory of squash, crunch, punch when talking about batting. Um, It really relates to what I talk about as well, and that was fascinating to hear that. And I absolutely love when I get the chance to hear inside stories about some of the world's best players. And who better to talk about than the mentor of Ricky Ponting and the recent coach of Steve Smith to share some stories about them? Wasn't that interesting? Greg Shippard is one of the world's most loved, respected, and successful coaches. And I was so pleased to be able to sit down for a little while with him and pick his brain, even though I wanted to spend a lot more time with him. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, then please share it. There's so much value to be shared with other people. Please share it with your coach, any coaches you know. If you're a coach, share it with your coaching team or other coaches. We can all learn so much from Shippy. Share it with your parents. I think parents can learn so much from Shippy as well. And guys, if you really enjoyed it, I would love if you could take 60 to 90 seconds to leave a review on this podcast. Leaving a review will really help us reach more people and grow our podcast to a wider audience. So please, please, if you can manage 30 30 to 90 seconds, please, I'd really appreciate if you can leave a review. So on that note, thanks a lot for listening, guys. Now go out and get it done.